Right, thank you all for coming. It's uh, a pleasure to see such a, a full group of people, a full lecture hall. Um, my name is Toby Dodge, and I'm lucky enough to be the Q8 chair at the London School of Economics and director of the Q8 program. This is the annual Q8 lecture uh, that the Q8 program runs, so we're very, very uh, privileged to have Sultan Al Qasimi, who must be known. Uh, it's one of the few occasions I say a man who knows no needs no introduction. But for those of you who may not know his full resume, uh, Sultan is a is a, base, is a United Arab Emirates columnist whose articles have appeared in the Financial Times, the Independent, the Guardian, the Huffington Post, New York Times, amongst many others. He's a prominent uh, commentator. He's a prominent commentator on Arab affairs on Twitter. Uh, basically on and rose to prominence, can we say, during the Arab Spring. His tweets became, I think, a major news source and a source of analysis after two, 2011 as we were all scrabbling to keep up. And we could say he probably outflanked the major news uh, networks. Sultan is a, an MIT Media Labs Directors Fellow, and in 2014, um, Arabian business placed him as one of the world's most hundred powerful Arabs in the thinking category. So he's also uh, the founder of Bajil Art Foundation, an independent initiative established to contribute to the intellectual development of the art scene in the Arab region. And if you haven't seen the exhibition that he's curating at the Whitechapel Gallery, I would insist you go along in the next few days because it's going to close on Friday. I think that's right. So Sultan will talk for about 45, 50 minutes. We'll then have questions and answer for about half an hour. And then you're all invited to join a reception in the senior common room that you'll be directed to afterwards if you want to join us for refreshments and to carry on the discussion. Sultan, please take your place. Thank you. Testing. I'm just trying to time myself. Um, thank you, everybody, for showing up. My name is Sultan Saud al-Qasmi. Um, I'm here to tell you a little bit about the history of uh, politics in modern and then contemporary art in the Arab world. Uh, so in 1937, there was an exhibition in Munich that the National Socialist Party uh, in Germany put together. The exhibition was titled so-called Degenerate Art. The exhibition brought together very famous, some of the most important and famous artists of the 20th century but they were seen as being un-German, immoral. Uh, some names that you would recognize uh, uh, these artists uh, are now respected. However, in those days, they were uh, being lumped up together uh, and criticized by the German government. The reverberations of this exhibition, 1937, went as far as North America, Europe, uh, and in the Middle East. So you had uh, Leon uh, Trotsky, uh, you had André Breton, you had uh, Diego Rivera, uh, come out with statements sort of denouncing what happened in this, uh, this uh, so-called degenerate art exhibition. Well, something similar happened in the Arab world as well. In Cairo, a group of uh, professors, intellectuals, artists came together to found a group known as Jama'at al-Fan wal or the Arts and Freedom uh, Group. Uh, these, uh, these, uh, these intellectuals and artists uh, issued a periodical the periodical uh, was uh, called Evolution, uh, and this is, uh, this is their manifesto that they issued in 1938. So they were, they were saying things like, uh, let us take up 
the challenge together. Uh, Europe is uh, being uh, overtaken by uh, a new wave of Middle Ages, uh, and it is idiocy and folly to reduce art uh, into a particular religion, race, or a nation. So very, very political uh, statement by uh, artists in, uh, and intellectuals in uh, Egypt. But just look at the name here. This, this encompassed people who were Muslim, Jewish, Christian, some of the uh, some names are, uh, are perhaps uh, recognizable to you. And they came together and issued this declaration in 1938. Their art was also uh, perhaps categorized as so-called degenerate. This is a piece by Samir Rafa' Ramses uh, Yunan, uh, and Inji Aflatun, uh, who was uh, one of the youngest members of this group. Uh, there is a resurrection uh, that has been taking place uh, in the study of uh, arts and freedom group, including an exhibition that opened uh, last month in, in Cairo, put together by the Sharjah Art Foundation, and there's one opening tomorrow in the Pompidou. Uh, however, Arab artists have depicted political events since the early 20th century. This is a work from Palestine from 1918 by Nicola Sayikh, uh, depicting the surrender of Jerusalem to the British. There's also artists like Inji Flaton who depicted events in the 1940s that took place decades before. So this is a very famous massacre called Din Shawe, uh, in which, uh, is there, oh, I love that there is a, uh, a laser point. So do, you, do you see the, uh, the helmets of the, uh, of the soldiers, the, the occupying soldiers, uh, looking as, uh, as though uh, as this person is being uh, hanged, and you see the family pleading for his life, uh, uh, depicting a massacre from 1906. Uh, not all artists had an antagonistic relationship with the government. Many of them were very friendly with the government, such as George Sabah, who in, in this piece called The Sycamore Trees of Cairo, uh, uh, don't, gives this work to His Majesty King Fuad I of Egypt. So these artists enjoyed royal patronage. But some of them, like uh, Abdul Hadi al-Ghazzar, didn't. Now, this artist was thrown in jail because of this artwork. I'll give you a few seconds to guess why. Does anybody want to hazard a guess? <laughs> why, why, why do you think this artist was thrown in jail? Naked women. Naked women? Wrong. You want to try again? Sorry? No, no. One more guess? Empty. Who said empty plates? Yes, so, yes, very right. So the empty plates, the message of this artwork was so controversial. The fact, that, the fact is that Yusuf Amin, uh, who was a founder of a school of art in Egypt, invited Abdul Hadi al-Ghazar and told him, we're going to present a work to his majesty. Would you like to uh, give a work? And he gave this work and it was so offensive to the royal household that he was thrown in jail. And uh, as you said, it's because it depicts hunger in Egypt. Uh, which is one of the names of this artwork. So the message is, everyone is hungry in your kingdom, your majesty. And so this, uh, this artist was very happy, as you can see, with this artwork when the government in Egypt was overthrown and a, a republic uh, took over. So this work from 1962 uh, is called Al-Mithaq, or the Charter, and it's in the National Museum in Egypt. And it's, it depicts here the charter that was written by Abdel Nasser, uh, government, uh, but it also shows you here in the back, I don't know if you can see this, uh, a Muslim imam and a priest hugging, sort of shows you cross-sectarian uh, unity in Egypt, the development, the industrialization, the stork, uh, you, do you see this, the, the wheat and the flour in the hands of the farmers, so it's very political, very pro-government as well. 
So one of the reasons uh, that there was a national identity that emerged in the mid-20th century is because of the fine art societies that started across the Arab world. So from the early 50s in Baghdad, you had art societies in Kuwait, in Khartoum, in Casablanca. Uh, across the Arab world, uh, artists came together. Uh, and it wasn't just artists who came together, but artists and intellectuals, professors. And there was an exchange and a flow of ideas between them. And so you saw the emergence of nationalism, pan-Arabism. Even under the monarchy, people were exchanging ideas with each other. This is another photo of the Baghdad Fine Art Society. A lot of these people, by the way, uh, were not artists. Some of them were uh, intellectuals like, uh, like uh, Jabra Ibrahim Jabra from Palestine, who was associated with them. This work from 1957, again, celebrating uh, Iraq, moving away from, uh, from the likes of George Hanna Sabah. You saw the work that he gave to the king, how, how European it looked, like a landscape could have been painted by any European artist. But here you see, again, the emergence of national identity, uh, symbols, whether it's uh, the, uh, the, uh, the pigeon of peace, the, uh, the olive branch. However, some artists, like Karim Haidar, were very concerned with the repression that was taking place in Iraq in 1957. So, uh, Nouri Saeed was a prime min- the last prime minister of Iraq, Nouri Saeed, was invited by, by the king to form a government, and he was known to suppress a lot of the opposition. And this artist, Karim Haidar, from Iraq, was very worried about this suppression, uh, uh, and he depicted it in this artwork. It shows a person who's boxed in, almost, uh, almost cramped into this artwork. He's, he's almost too big for this artwork. If he stands up, you know, he, uh, you need twice as big a, a canvas. But, but this is not really the message in this artwork. The message appears here. Uh, in, in the, do you see on the left there's all these, uh, all these matchstick men and women? So this is, this is where the, uh, the, messages is, the messages are. You have, um, you have soldiers shooting at civilians. And this truly did happen. 1956, 57 in Iraq you had uh, people protesting the Baghdad Pact of 1956, you had uh, trials, you had uh, p- political repression. Look at this. Again, civilians putting their hands up, afraid, tanks being rolled into the street. There's, there's even a rape scene. So unless this person's trying to save the woman or resuscitate her, I'm not sure. But it kind of looks like he's not trying to save her life. So, so again, 1957, a very, uh, a very uh, difficult year uh, in Iraq. And this work is, is one of, I think, one of the most important works that we have in the collection. It's by Karim Haidar. It's called the Martyr's Epic. So uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the surface of this work, it depicts a religious event. So the religious event is the martyrdom of Imam Hussein bin Ali, uh, 1,400 uh, years ago or so. And uh, again, it shows the, uh, the soldiers or the companions who are with Imam Hussein mourning the Imam. The Imam is here so, sort of gone through this portal. They're crying for him. They're upset. The sun has gone red perhaps a symbol of, uh, of the blood that was shed in the Battle of Karbala. However, this work from 1956, uh, 1965 depicts a, a major political event. And the political event was the overthrow of Abdul Karim Qasim's government. So Abdul Karim Qasim, uh, first president of uh, the, the Republic of Iraq, had overthrown the monarch, and then it was his turn. 1963, there were mass trials, there was confiscation of property, and there was also executions. 
So uh, they, they, they say that upwards of 300 people were executed in that period, many of them intellectuals, intellectuals that this artist might have mixed with, might have communicated and befriended, whether it was in the arts society or elsewhere. So this is an allegory or a metaphor for the political events of 1963. You also see the emergence of public political art, like this work by Jawad Salim, which was created uh, you know, a couple of years after the overthrow of the monarchy. This work is called Monument to Freedom, Freedom from the British uh, influence in Iraq. Uh, uh, this work is still in, in Baghdad, fortunately, uh, although the artist never got to see it, by the way, because it was completed after he had passed away. But look at this work, Monument to Freedom, depicting a man sort of breaking through a cage uh, and perhaps even freeing uh, his compatriots. So very much political, very much public art that we see emerging for the first time. I suppose some of you recognize this work, Christ the Redeemer uh, in Rio de Janeiro, created by an artist known as Paul Landowski. This artist was Polish. He was invited by the French occupation government in Algeria to create a monument to celebrate, as you see, to, to not celebrate, but to commemorate the fallen French soldiers. Uh, of the Great War, which ended 10 years before, 1928. Uh, as you see here, the horse is sort of standing in a solemn position and res uh, respecting and uh, uh, sort of saluting almost the fallen uh, French uh, uh, soldier. But what happened was that an artist, uh, 50 years on, an artist was invited to, uh, to change this monument and depict the Algerian, the fallen Algerian soldier who were victims, or the Algerian man or woman, who were victims of the French occupation. So rather than destroy the monument that you saw before you here, he decided, when he covered it up, he decided to enclose it in this sarcophagus. Again, look at this work with the two hands sort of breaking the chains, the freedom from the French government. But also, in a way, the message might be that Algeria is the tomb of the invader. Uh, but I love how he also didn't destroy another artist's uh, artwork. He kept it. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, and it's, still, it's still inside. I mean, here, this slide can show you how the work has been covered uh, inside. This is an artwork by the same artist in which he is associating the, uh, the Amazigh uh, nation or the Amazigh uh, people with the political events, the Front Liberation Nationale, the Organisation Armée Secrète of Algeria, these political uh, developments and these political uh, agents that were active in the 1950s and early 60s. Nationalism and modernism, uh, sorry, nationalism and pan-Arabism were uh, also uh, a big feature of the 1950s and, uh, and 60s. Here you see Ibrahim Ismail, a, a Kuwaiti uh, artist depicting Sheikh Abdullah Salem, the, the sort of founding father of modern Kuwait who, who brought in the constitution uh, to Kuwait. Uh, the Dove of Peace, once again, the Olive Branch. The, uh, he is the person who introduced parliamentary elections into Kuwait, so very much celebrated. Another Kuwaiti artist called Khalifa Al-Qattan, celebrating Gamal Abdel Nasser. But look how he's associating Abdel Nasser and the Egyptian flag sort of being the umbrella organization for the Arab world from the Maghreb states all the way to the Gulf. Abdel Nasser is sort of uh, this father figure to this, this region in North Africa. Not all artists were happy with Abdel Nasser. Some of them were unhappy, like communist activist Inji Aflatun, who was thrown in jail uh, for a number of years. This is one of her work, which some of her best work was actually depicting the events that took place in jail, the people that she met in jail, like this artwork, Girl Behind Prison Wall, which she created in the 1950s. But most artists in general were very happy with Abdel Nasser, especially Hamid Uwais, 
continuously revisited Abdel Nasser and nationalism in his work. You see here Abdel Nasser larger than life, sort of looming over his people. Everybody celebrating around him, everyone smiling. The soldier, the, the fallah. Uh, the, the people came to celebrate the, nationali the, the nationalization of the Suez Canal in 1957. And you see, you see the ship here sort of uh, the, uh, crossing and Abdel Nasser keeping his eye on the ship celebrating. Uh, again, this is another artwork which shows you Abdel Nasser larger than life by, uh, by Muhammad Sabri called the Peace Speech from 1960. Look how he has Abdel Nasser uh, giving a talk at the United Nations, but also all his buddies are sitting in the front row, the president of Indonesia, uh, the US, USSR, the American guy, of course. Uh, then you have the king of Saudi uh, uh, Fidel Castro, oh, and of course, but notice how, how smart it is that he kept an empty seat for him because his place is in the front seat. He wouldn't be coming from the back. So all the symbolism in these political uh, artworks are amazing. Just look at this work where Abdel Nasser invited uh, Arab leaders to sign a Cairo agreement in 1970. Notice something about Abdel Nasser. He's bigger than all of them, isn't he? So, so you, have, you have the Saudi king sort of on the corner there at the end, and he has the ones that he likes next to him. Okay? And look at the document that he's signing. And again, associating him with Jerusalem uh, once again, uh, and the people that he would probably try to uh, um, sort of overshadow in his life. So a lot of Arab governments politicized national events uh, and, uh, and national projects. One of the most politicized projects, it's an infrastructure project, was the High Dam of Egypt in Aswan. So there was a number of exhibitions uh, that took place to bring the High Dam closer to the intellectual community of Cairo and Alexandria. Here, uh, artists like Raghab Ayad were bussed into uh, Aswan uh, Afat Naji is another, taken to Aswan to depict the, the, uh, the building of the dam uh, in the 1960s. But notice one thing about this artwork, by the way. Um, what does it look like they're building? The they look like they're building the pyramids, or maybe digging the Suez Canal. So the, in a way that the artist is associating Abdel Nasser with sort of being the successor to the pharaohs and the successor to the Khedewis. Also, one other thing about this artwork someone, no someone noted to me is the fact that it's the 1960s, but where is the machinery? So people are still working with their hands. It's 1964-65. So it might even have been a critical uh, artwork. There was a lot of uh, sympathy and solidarity between artists from across the Arab world with each other. Uh, of course, we will come to the major theme that they were all uh, concerned about. But in this artwork from 1960, you see Lebanese artist Arif al-Rayis uh, uh, gifting this work to the Algerian people. This work in the, is in the Museum of uh, uh, the Museum de, de Beaux-Arts in Algeria. And uh, I couldn't find the name of this work. I took a picture and I visited. Uh, again, it depicts the uh, Organisation Armée Secrète, which ruled Algeria on behalf of the French, uh, the, United, uh, the United Nations over here. Uh, for some reason, there's, uh, there's, there's uh, Nazism, there's Zionism, uh, there's, uh, the e there's the EU, or not EU, but Europe, uh, and all of them are trying to get a piece of the Algerian sort of, you see how the, these, uh, these mechanical crocodiles cutting the leg off the Algerian, trying to cook him in a stew. So everybody wants a piece of the Algerian. So the work was very much political. Araf uh, al-Rayis, Lebanon, 1960. One of the most, uh, again, important nationalist works is this by Hamid Uwais, uh, the same guy who did the, nas the, the nationalization of the Suez Canal with Abdel Nasser, with the people celebrating around him. But this work is so, so smart because it, it's, it sort of depicts 
uh, first of all, it was created in 1967. Uh, of course, what happened in 67 was the defeat of the Arab armies at the hands of, of Israel. But also there was a blow to the morale of the Arab armies. A lot of people were uh, very upset. Uh, and yet here you have uh, uh, the guardian of life, uh, uh, the protector, the, the hero of Egypt, who is able to protect the Egyptians underneath him here, sort of like an umbrella uh, uh, where the cycle of life continues. People are getting married, children are going to school, uh, uh, scientists. But, but what's interesting about this work as well is that this piece is divided into two halves. On one half, you have prosperous Egypt. You have people standing on the square. You have, you have workers coming from a factory. Look at the smoke billowing from the chimneys. What does that mean? It means that the, the production is continuing. People, life is continuing. However, on the other side, uh, he has his gaze on this barren land, this land, of, uh, this land that has been deserted. What is that land over there? That's probably the Suez Canal. That's probably Sinai. That the, the, uh, he has his eyes on it in case anybody tries to, to advance from there. But of course, it's occupied by Israel. The message is he's protecting the people, uh, but this area is deserted, which is probably not exactly true. 1974, 1974 this artist revisits, following the demise of Abdel Nasser, revisits uh, in this work called Al-Ubur, sort of the, uh, the triumph against Israel, uh, there was a lot of there was Hebrew work, uh, words here, but it, we saw it through the x-rays, but it has been since uh, painted over. Again, Al-Ubur celebrates uh, one of the triumphs of the Egyptian uh, army who were able to cross uh, the canal. Um, but this takes me to this, uh, th this show. The Egyptian government and many Arab governments politicized art for their own, uh, for their own uh, uh, reasons. Uh, this, is, this, was, this is a rare poster of an exhibition that took place in Tel Aviv in the uh, Habima National Theater, 1982. As following the, uh, the Camp David Accords, uh, the Egyptian government agreed to do an exhibition of Egyptian art in Israel. Uh, this was the first and the last exhibition that I could find that took place in, in Tel Aviv. But they took the, the, the master, the, sort of the, 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 the father of the Egyptian modern art movement, Mahmoud Said. And a few months later, Israeli artists uh, exhibited in a hotel in Cairo. But that was the first and the last time that this had ever taken place. Uh, many artists were, uh, were, were, were sort of shunned if they tried to show works with, with Israeli uh, artists. But the major theme, the biggest theme that resonated across the Arab world, uh, the biggest political theme was, of course, Palestine. This work from 1953, probably maybe the most important or by the most important artist or one of the most recognized artists, Ismail Shammut from 1953 called Where To, Ila Ain. It depicts a group of Palestinian refugees, a father with his children perhaps, wearing uh, tattered clothes, poor, wandering from village to village or place to place, uh, really not knowing where to go. Uh, Palestine was revisited by artists from Palestine and from outside Palestine. This is a work by Naim Ismail called Fida'iyin from 1967, uh, obviously referencing the, the Palestinian uh, uh, Kufiya, uh, again, Abdul Hay. Musallam, uh, Abdul Hayyim Salam Zarara, uh, uh, once again showing you uh, Palestinian women uh, resisting uh, the, uh, the, the Israeli occupation uh, in this work uh, from Sharjah Art Foundation. This work by Marwan Qassab Bashi, a Syrian uh, based in Berlin since the 1950s, shows you Palestinian children who were resisting the Israeli uh, occupation as giants. Even if this work has this magic about it, even if it's placed on the ground, you still look up 
at the, at the children. The message is that the Palestinian children resisting the Israeli occupation are giants and you have to look up to them. And you, the viewer, are small compared to them. Abdul Qadir Rais, Emirati artist, once again depicting Palestinian refugees, the theme of Palestine, a constant reminder in this work uh, that I skipped over 1989, despite the fact that Abdul Qadir Rais did not pay, paint a lot of figurative work, he, he revisits uh, figurative painting in this work owned by the National Gallery in Jordan, depicting a Palestinian uh, uh, during the Intifada throwing stones. You can't see it here, but there are Israeli occupation uh, forces here, soldiers in the background. And then you see the Palestinian flag uh, over there. Uh, Moroccan, uh, Moroccan artist Farid Belkahia uh, depicting Jerusalem in 1994. Uh, again, one of the most famous artworks is Sleiman Mansour, Camel uh, of Burden uh, from 1978, I believe, depicting a Palestinian uh, sort of carrying the burden of, of Jerusalem uh, on his back. Uh, and maybe one of the most important artists, Ziya uh, Azawi, who now has a, a major retrospective uh, in, in Qatar's Mat'haf, uh, uh, using a poem from Mahmoud Darwish uh, uh, called The Body's Anthem, uh, which begins, uh, I am Ahmad al-Arabi, let the siege come. So he is employing the poetry of Mahmoud Darwish in, uh, in the artworks uh, uh, called Nasheed al-Jasad. Again, re, uh, you, uh, revisiting Najil Ali's Handala Dhiya Azawi, depicting the, ch the Palestinian child whose hands uh, are behind his back, sort of showing you the helplessness that the child is just viewing uh, the events but unable to do anything about them. And this, of course, work which, is owned, which was bought by the uh, Tate Museum here in, in, uh, in London a few years ago, uh, depicting the massacre of uh, Sabra and Shatila, uh, often referred to as Dhiya Azawi's Guernica piece. Sabra and Shatila, uh, again, uh, shown by uh, or depicted by Kuwaiti artist Sami Muhammad. Uh, this is an interesting exhibition that took place in 1978. Palestine uh, is a theme that reverberates not only in the Arab world, but across the world. There was a call in the late 1970s for artists to donate works to Palestine. Artists from, uh, from Europe, from North America, but I think many of them from the Middle East and the Arab world as well, gave works to the International Art Exhibition for Palestine, which took place in Lebanon in 1978. Uh, although these works have all been missing, this is just a list of the artists that have shown in that exhibition. Uh, this is a work by Asam Abu Shakra. Asam Abu Shakra was one of the first Palestinians to study in an Israeli institution, an, an academic, uh, an art institution. But he associates the Palestinians, he uses... Uh, the uh, cactus plant as a symbol for Palestinians. So here he shows you uh, the cactus plant, uh, which is known for its perseverance, for its resistance, for its patience, uh, sitting on a, uh, you know, on a window uh, uh, overlooking Tel Aviv. And the idea is that even a Palestinian in Tel Aviv, basically himself, would not change his, uh, his uh, would not shed his thorns. It wouldn't change. And of course, cactus in Arabic is what? Sabbar, and sabbar comes from the word sabr, which is patience. So there's, a, there's layers and layers of political symbolism in this work. This is a work by Sleiman Mansour depicting sort of the, uh, the, 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 the divisions in the, uh, of, of the West Bank, in, uh, which I think is, he's almost anticipating the, uh, the apartheid wall that would be built later on, uh, because this work is built using cement. 
Um, this is a great work by a contemporary artist, Khalid Jarrar, who went and chipped pieces from the apartheid wall in the West Bank and reconstituted it into, uh, into a volleyball, uh, in a way mocking the apartheid wall, but also uh, reflecting the fact that children can no longer play with each other. The, the ball is now made of concrete. The kids cannot, the Palestinian children cannot play. Uh, the villages have been, have been divided. This is a work by Larissa Sansour, Palestinian artist based in Denmark, who was invited to uh, take part in a uh, art competition but when the, uh, in, in Switzerland. But when the sponsor found out that she was doing a work about Palestine, the sponsor said, you know what, we don't want any political work from the Middle East. So the sponsor said, uh, this is, so the artist said, this is my life. My life is all about uh, politics. And so she was kicked out of the competition. But she continued the work nonetheless, and we, uh, they were able to raise funds. Uh, so basically the idea of the work is that the Palestinians, the one solution to the Palestinians is to build a giant uh, skyscraper in, in Jerusalem, and all the Palestinians would live in that skyscraper. Of course, this is fantasy. This is not a solution. Uh, but as you can see, she's standing at the lobby. Jerusalem is on one floor, Ramallah, Bethlehem, uh, and Nazareth, and all the, each village has a, uh, has a floor. I'm going to play uh, a, a small part of it coming up next. Here she is visiting her, uh, her apartment overlooking Jerusalem uh, and watering her olive tree uh, in her apartment in this giant skyscraper. I hope the video works about, I think, 30 seconds or so. So I'm going to show you some works that were created pre-Arab Spring. This work was a monument designed by an Italian artist, uh, but then obviously uh, it was destroyed during the uh, uh, Lebanese Civil War, 1975-1990. So you have here Mona Hatoum, a Beirut-born Palestinian artist living in the UK, uh, almost freezing that work in time, the way it looked in 1990, the year the war ended, almost as a reminder of what, uh, uh, the, what devastation the, 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 the civil war has brought uh, upon Lebanon, upon this artwork, but, but also upon society. Here you have an uh, Iraqi artist uh, called Afif Al-Aibi uh, who depicted the, uh, the, uh, the, the bombing of Baghdad or the, uh, in 1990-1991 uh, war, but you also have the same time uh, Thuriya al-Baqsami depicting uh, in this stencil no to the occupation which he created in 1990-1991 during the uh, occupation of Kuwait. Um, here is the joy of liberation a year after the liberation of Kuwait. Uh, do you notice that the abaya or, uh, of, the, of the woman is in the, the shape of the uh, map of Kuwait? Okay, so this is an artist, uh, I don't know why the work is so dark, but if you can see it over there. Uh, it depicts a, uh, uh, it's called Outside Bars, 2005, and it depicts a group of uh, Egyptians standing in line with money in their hands trying to buy uh, bread. But as you can see, even though they have money, there's only five or six loaves of bread. It's not enough. So if you, if you, keep in, if you recall, Egypt had a number of uh, riots to do uh, uh, with the lack of bread in the street. In this work by Walid Abed uh, called Under Arrest 2007, uh, it shows you the torture of, uh, of an Egyptian citizen at the hands of the security forces in the Mubarak era 
of course, some of you who follow Egypt would know that there was a famous YouTube video that was, uh, that was uncovered in those days uh, showing you torture of a citizen. So this is once again by an artist depicting that, uh, such events. Uh, Bush was promising a lot of uh, democracy in the Middle East. This is an artist uh, called Huda Lutfi almost mocking that promise, 2008. The work is called Democracy is Coming. It's the halo over uh, Um Kalthum, but democracy is coming on the wings of military jets. Okay, this is an interesting work by Moroccan artist Mohsen Harraki, uh, who in 2010 wanted to show you that there was, a, uh, uh, there, there was no development, there was no reform in society, and there was a fossilization of, uh, of uh, education in Morocco, and I think this applies across the Arab world, the, where you have the constitution, the history books, uh, and the Islamic study books uh, have been fossilized in concrete. They haven't changed for, for many decades. Uh, they might as well have been written in stone. Very, again, very political work uh, by Mohsen Harraki, uh, Ja'far Khaldi, depicting one of the several Israeli uh, uh, attacks on Gaza in 2009. Uh, this was a school, the students were under attack by the Israeli forces. So this is an individual, uh, uh, this is an artist called Sharif Waqid, uh, who created this video that's very, very controversial. Uh, when you look at this work, a man is wearing a balaclava, uh, there's a machine gun in front of him, he's reading from a book, uh, he looks like he's military, there's a, there's a flag behind him. First word that comes to your mind now. What? Daesh, terrorist. Okay, so, but in reality, if you only give the person a chance, you'll be able to hear what he's reading from. So, in fact, what the individual, the, the, the suicide bomber is doing is, is reading from a thousand and one Arabian nights. And... Uh, and I'm not sure if you know the story of a thousand one Arabian nights. So the story is obviously Shahrazad, who didn't want to die. She came up with this ingenious plan to tell Shahrayar a story, but never finish it. So, and then she would tell him, I'm so tired. I want to go and sleep now. I'll finish the story the next day. And so she was able to prolong her life by a thousand and one nights. And just like Shahrazad, uh, Sharif Waqid says that these individuals also don't want to die. They want to live another day. So I'm going to show you a quick uh, video of this. Actually, we showed this work in, uh, in Singapore in, uh, uh, in 2013. Uh, the, the exhibition ran for three, uh, three months or so. And two weeks before the end of the exhibition, the Islamic uh, fatwa uh, uh, institution or society in Singapore uh, issued a, a statement for people not to visit the exhibition because it shows this work. They, they, they in fact, didn't understand the work. It's not to judge. The work is to listen uh, and that was the best thing that happened to the exhibition because a lot of people visited. So I'm going to show you just a, 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 a few seconds of this video. He's just reading from the book. Okay, so... <laughs> So I want to show you the depiction of contemporary events uh, in the past few years. Uh, you have th this work by Paris-based Lebanese artist Ali Sherry uh, called I Carry My Flame. So this work obviously created in 2011 references the, uh, the self-immolation of uh, Bouazizi in Tunis. Uh, this is not a video of Bouazizi, this is a video he found on YouTube that he took stills from. Bouazizi was not filmed, uh, of course. Uh, the work is called I Carry My Flame. 
But what's interesting about this work is the process in which he created the work uh, is called serigraphy. And, and, and you have to force ink through, uh, through paper. Uh, it's almost violent in nature, uh, in, uh, referencing the self-emulation, the burning of the skin. Uh, this work by uh, Shadi Zakhzouk, Palestinian uh, artist based in, uh, 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 in Paris, uh, references the protesters of the Arab Spring in 2011. The work is called Rock Me All Night Long. And uh, it shows you here these, these protesters, and they have Qaddafi over there. Uh, you know, it, it was also shown in Dismaland, uh, if you visited the show here in the UK last year. Ali Sharri, again, uh, depicting the tension that, was, uh, that, that is um, sort of stored underground in some, Arabs, uh, in some Arab capitals and Middle Eastern cities, such as this one in Algeria. It's 2014, he says, we've not seen the end of it yet. There's a lot of, there's a lot of frustration in people, and that's why he calls this place, he calls this work, Trembling Landscapes. This is a work by Egyptian artist Rida Abdurrahman, which he painted in 2012, where you had the elections taking place in Egypt. The work uh, basically is calling upon Egyptians not to vote for the Islamists and not to vote for the military, to choose a third way. Uh, it's a giant uh, red X here. He took the work to Tahrir Square. A lot of activists in Egypt signed, uh, signed this uh, paper. Uh, this is a close-up with a lot of slogans. This artwork almost became a, a, a document of history because of the people who signed it and because of the slogans some of you might uh, recognize that appeared. This is a work by Berlin-based uh, Syrian artist called Sulafa Hajazi. So this work was created in 2011 uh, uh, during the events of the Arab Spring where, where she's showing you, of course, she's referencing or using the fable of Rapunzel which is a German uh, fable, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, but rather than the princess putting her hair out and Prince Charming climbing the tower, what you have is a, a, a Salafi sheikh putting his beard out and you have the militant climbing the beard. So it's almost, uh, it's almost saying that the, 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 these preachers are helping the rise or assisting the rise of, this, of these uh, militants. This is another work by uh, Sulafa Hajazi, which I couldn't show in the Gulf, so I'm very happy to show it here. Okay? <laughs> so this, this work uh, is called Masturbation. I can't believe I said that word on stage. Uh, this work is from 2011, again by Sulafa Hajazi, uh, depicting what might, she might have been talking about Syrian soldiers or any soldiers in the Arab world who, who almost, um, you know, they get sexually aroused when they see uh, protesters because they can go and shoot their load. It's almost raw and animalistic in a way. Um, very, very controversial works, but also very intelligent by this artist. Fadi Hamwi showing you in 2013 that it really isn't the suicide bombers. The, it's, it's, it's the brain that's going to explode by some people uh, uh, in the region. This is an interesting work by Saudi artist Abdel Nasser Gharam called No More Tears, 2009. So in this work, Abdel Nasser Gharam uh, took stickers from the Johnson & Johnson product the shampoo, and, and, and put it on uh, uh, trouble spots of the Arab world. So, uh, so you can see here 2009, okay? You see, of course, Palestine in red. You see Iraq, South Sudan, Somalia. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad reality. There's, there's a lot of sadness in the Arab world. This is 2009. He revisits this work in 2014. Do you want to guess what happens with the, with the, with the Johnson & Johnson stickers? Okay, so, so look at this. So, so you see 
uh, uh, contrary to other parts of the world, rather than the lessening of, 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 of sadness and uh, trouble spots, you see new trouble spots. You see Tunisia, you see Yemen, you see Syria, you see Libya and elsewhere and Bahrain and elsewhere in the, in the Arab world. And, and the, really, it's almost mocking the idea of لا بعد اليوم, there's no more tears, my son, my daughter. Uh, graffiti and street art made a major, uh, 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 I think, emergence in the, uh, in the uh, events of the Arab Spring. Uh, what, what this, this is not to say that there was no graffiti pre-2000, uh, but the fact is that there was no uh, photography that could capture and, and for it to be shared across social media. Uh, these, these works are no longer there. Some of them uh, lasted for a year and some of them lasted for a night. It depends on how offensive they were. So, so this, this is probably the most famous graffiti street in the Arab world. Uh, Muhammad Mahmoud uh, outside uh, the American University of Cairo uh, in, uh, in downtown uh, area. So you had uh, the depiction of corrupt leaders, but also of martyrs of the, of the revolution. In a way, taking this art to the street, art is no longer restricted to the elites who can visit galleries and visit museums. Uh, uh, but now people in the street are subjected and uh, uh, you know, uh, interact with these artworks. And there's a daily reminder. Notice the, uh, the banners here on the side depicting that these are martyrs and that they have, uh, they have uh, passed away. Uh, this is a work that certainly wouldn't have lasted more than a few hours. It was created by uh, uh, an Egyptian graffiti artist called El Zift. Um, <laughs> I, I can't say what I want to say now, but because I want to protect his identity. But uh, but so so El, El Zift is very smart. He went with a group of uh, of activists and artists to uh, to the former headquarters of the National Democratic Party, the NDP. Uh, this work was created five or six days before uh, the uh, the Egyptian elections of of the summer of 2012. If you remember those days, there was a lot of Political, um, it, was, it was the climax of, of, of uh, politics in Egypt, I believe. So he went there, uh, and a lot of businessmen had come back uh, into, the, uh, into the media, a lot of businessmen associated with the Mubarak government. Uh, and so what they're saying here uh, is that, uh, contrary to the news that this was going to be demolished because it was burned down during the revolution, in fact, it is opening soon. Uh, within a few hours, the Egyptian government had Painted, had painted over it, and the work uh, wouldn't have been seen. But the fact is, because of social media, you, uh, a lot of people photographed it. This is a photograph by Jonathan Rashad, a lo uh, Egyptian photographer. A lot of people photographed this work, and this work is basically lives on forever, even though it's graffiti. So um, th th there, th there's two reasons for me to put up this work. In one way, I'm, I'm inviting you to our forum on, on Saturday at the Whitechapel Gallery. But at the same time, uh, this is a work created by the GCC Collective, which is mostly Kuwaiti uh, artists uh, depicting uh, the, the, the GCC Collective, the, the leaders of the Gulf. But what's interesting about it is that it's a very small work that is placed on a table, and you are, uh, you are looking down on them, but you're also sc uh, scrutinizing them, which is something that doesn't really happen in reality that the, the audience is able to scrutinize the leaders uh, of these uh, uh, Gulf uh, countries. So uh, I will end with, uh, with this work uh, by Muna Hatoum, 
Again, Munahatum, a very important artist based here uh, in London. Uh, Munahatum didn't do too many works about the Arab world. But I'm afraid that even without her saying this is a work about the Arab world, it's, a, it's, a, it's called Infinity that she created over, over a period of 10 years. Uh, the work depicts perpetual violence, perpetual war, unending, continuous war. You see this uh, symbol of infinity going on forever, uh, the battles that never end. But you also see these toy soldiers. She's almost saying that these people who go off to war are, are figurines that can be picked up and placed depending, uh, you know, uh, at the whim of the, those in power. But she's also domesticated the piece. The piece is created uh, uh, in bronze, but it's created on a, on a domestic item, on a coffee table in the house. And the idea is that the war, these wars, contrary to your beliefs, they affect your house. They come, they come back home. Even if you think they're far away, they affect your, they affect your homeland. Um, I will end with this work. Thank you very much. Well, I think you'll agree that was nothing short of superb, uh, uh, both a, a tour de force but also a tour de horizon of uh, Arab art uh, across uh, a great many years. So Sultan's kindly agreed to take questioning. We have uh, probably three-quarters of an hour. Uh, there are microphones both up in the balcony and here. If you stick your hand up in the usual fashion, I'll recognize you. The mic will come to you if you say who you are and then ask a question and don't deliver a statement. We've already had one lecture. What we want is questions and dialogue between the floor and the speaker. Right, who wants to? Yes, you, sir. Thank you very much. Could you just say, um, you did mention it, this... Um, for, forum on the, t on the 22nd. Could you just say a little bit what it might be so I might attend? If you can tell me a little bit about the, the, you, a meeting on the 22nd, this Saturday, the White Travel Gallery. Could you tell me a little bit about what it's going to be about? Uh, yes, so um, it's on the Whitechapel website for more information, but I can tell you that it's the closing event of our year-long exhibition in London with the Whitechapel Gallery. Uh, they've taken about 100 works from the Barjil collection in Sharjah, UAE. Uh, the exhibition rotated, so every four months there were a different set of works. This is the final exhibition. The forum celebrates the closing of the year-long exhibition. Uh, there will be a lot of speakers from across the Arab world and, and Europe as well. Uh, and I will be interviewing a, 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 a very important collector called Dr. Ramzi Dallul, uh, who has upwards of 3,000 artworks. He owns some of the works that I've shown here. Uh, I will be interviewing him about his policy of collection and some political art as well. There is uh, a special price for, uh, for uh, uh, academics, I think, and uh, people above 60. Uh, <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to go on the website to find out. We have a question right at the back there, the gentleman in the suit. Anthony's Oxford and Soros. Thank you, Sultan, for the... Uh, Brilliant presentation. Um, I was hoping not to give you the difficult questions. I was hoping you could say a little bit about um, uh, developments in censorship uh, in the region with respect to, to politics and art and how social media is changing things on that front. And also a little bit on um, the, the role of the Gulf moving forward, seeing as this is under the banner of the Kuwait program, uh, how the Gulf is sort of changing the, the artistic paradigm uh, from Rabat to Muscat, if you like. Thank you. 
so the question was about censorship. There were two questions. One yeah. was uh, the role of within across the Middle East of censorship in art, and then the second question was about the role that the Gulf artists have played in driving the boundaries of art for. So, uh, so to answer your first question, uh, censorship, I think, has uh, has increased in the in the in the Arab world, but so have uh, the ways of. Uh, circumventing the censorship. So uh, a lot of governments won't allow artists to create work within the political work and works that they would deem to be unacceptable. But what these artists do is they create the work internationally, sell it internationally. The artwork never physically appears in these, in these countries, uh, and so they're able to circumvent it. Uh, <laughs> one of the, once we bought an artwork from, from uh, Egypt uh, by Mu'taz Nasr, I don't know if I should have said his name or not. But anyway, the artwork, uh, was, the artwork is Al-Sha'ab Yurid Isqat Al-Nizam. The people want the downfall of the regime. And so the gallery in uh, Cairo uh, refused to ship it to the Gulf. They said, no, no, I'll get in trouble. I won't be allowed into the Gulf if I ship an artwork called The People Want the Downfall of the Regime. Because their name would be you know, on, the, uh, on, the, on the parcel. So uh, it was a light box made up of Four, 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 uh, four uh, uh, words, al-sha'ab yurid asqat al-nizam. And so what we did to circumvent this uh, fear or uh, uh, you know, re- reluctance to send it is to ship it in four different boxes. So, <laughs> it was, so one box was the people, one box was they want, <laughs> one, box wa- <laughs> one box was regime, and so <laughs> the work finally made it to the Gulf. So, you know, there is censorship, but you find ways around it. Uh, your second question was uh, the Gulf. I think the Gulf plays uh, an interesting role in, uh, in, uh, in, the, in, the Arab, uh, in the emergence of an Arab art scene. There's obviously the, the financial factor. There's a lot of money that's pouring in from the Gulf. There's the, the art fairs in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. There's the Qatar uh, Museum. There's uh, Sharjah uh, Biennial, which has been going for 20 years now. And they've been supporting a lot of artists from the, uh, from the region. Um, but also, uh, there could be an argument to say that uh, uh, some artists might change their work to, to, to uh, satisfy the collectors uh, from the Gulf. I don't think any artist would say that. Uh, but there might be some artists who do this. At the same time, artists within the Gulf uh, have been creating a lot of cutting-edge art. I mean, we have Manal al here in the audience, one of the most cutting-edge artists from the Gulf, who I think is on par with any international artist, not just from the Arab world. So um, it's not fair to say that the, uh, you know, there's, there's um, only censorship coming or only uh, uh, works that are satisfying Gulf buyers, but this is the reality. The money is coming from the Gulf, so I wonder if it influences the production of art or not. Thank you. Yes, you, sir, in the white shirt. Thank you. Um, I have two questions. The first, did you find an um, art productions um, telling about the relationship among civil society in Arab, like Sunni and CE, for example? And, and the second, um, did you find the artwork criticizing about the relationship between Arab and the West? Um, so uh, is there artworks that depict the yes. sort of sectarianism yes. in, the, in the Arab world yes. and the relationship with the West? Um, fortunately, uh, the vast majority of artists are enlightened 
people. And they, fortunately, uh, uh, you know, and unlike some politicians and some religious leaders and some writers, and I can go on and on. But, but most artists really depict their countries uh, in sort of a, a, a unified state. Uh, so they, there's, I, I can't think really of artists who would choose to depict Sunni or Shia or, uh, or one, one religion, uh, uh, Christians or not. Um, that said, of course, sometimes uh, victims come from these, uh, uh, from these communities and uh, you see a lot of uh, artists uh, de- depicting uh, the struggle of, their, of these, uh, these societies. For example, Via Azawi, uh, an, uh, an Iraqi artist who was sent to fight against Kurds, Uh, in the 1970s, when he went back to Baghdad uh, after the war, created artworks that depicted Kurds. So, so he he said I, I felt he said in an interview I felt as though as though I was fighting against my own family. So this is just an example of artists who felt who, who really depict a unified vision of society. Your second answer, your second question was vis-à-vis the West. Yes, plenty of criticism towards the West. I'm I'm happy to say that. Um, <laughs> So uh, especially in the 1950s and 60s, there's less uh, so now, I think, because we have a lot of problems inside the Arab world. Uh, so you have uh, uh, many artists are occupied or preoccupied with depicting issues like terrorism in, the, uh, in these countries, as you saw. Um, but definitely the, the West uh, gets its fair share and well-deserved share of criticism from Arab artists. Thank you. Yes, you saw in the Czech shirt and then you next. Thank you, Sultan, for your illuminating talk. Um, my question was in regards to the latter half of your presentation where a lot of the, the artwork that you're displaying was produced in the diaspora. And I noticed I was expecting you to tell us a little bit more about the art that's produced in the diaspora and the impact that it has. And maybe there's a counterfactual here, you know, whether or not such powerful art could have been produced at home. So that's a very good point, actually. Thank you. I, I did have it uh, in my mind. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of artists uh, uh, had to leave Iraq following the 2003 uh, uh, you know, invasion. Uh, a lot of artists had to leave Syria following the 2011 uh, events. Um, these artists had to move. Some of them moved to Arab countries. Some of them moved to Lebanon. Some moved to Egypt. Some moved to the Gulf uh, countries. Uh, I, I tend to believe that they stayed home. Uh, because I'm sort of a pan-Arabist, I feel that they're still in their countries, they're still in, in the Arab world. But, uh, and also the fact is that there's still censorship in these countries in the Arab world. But maybe to say something about the artists who went to the West, um, obviously there's much less censorship, uh, the, uh, but they found their societies. So the ones who came to London and Paris and Berlin, they were able to communicate with other artists. They were not secluded from the Arab world. Many of them continue to depict the Arab world. Many of them still have families who live in these, uh, in these countries. But definitely we have seen a, 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 an equal phenomenon to the brain drain. We have seen an artist drain in, in, in countries like Iraq, for example. There are still many artists, but many artists have since left. Some of the greatest Iraqi artists, unfortunately, for me at least, live in Europe and live in North America. Uh, but I do believe they will go back. We've seen this happen with other countries, and artists do end up going back to their countries. Yes. Thank you so much for that talk. I was wondering, um, you spoke a lot about how art reflects or documents uh, po- politics and historical change, and I was wondering if you thought that Arab art did or can 
affect political change, so not just as a reflection, but also as um, making change happen in politics. Um, so I showed you the works by Walid Abed, showing you the man who's being tortured, the long bread lines, and there are other artists who did the same. Um, the, the, you know, art, artists generally don't go into politics. And all they can do, I think, is influence politicians, influence intellectuals, uh, or they might have been even influenced by, by, by intellectuals. There were, there were few artists who became ministers of culture in the, in the Arab world, but we saw that they were, uh, rather than them influencing the politics, they were themselves influenced by the politics. So it's like the, polit- it's like the, uh, the political animal in the Arab world has the power to change the, uh, the individual and to change them not always to the better change them into um, one, an actor for the government. Um, but I do believe that artists have, an influ- have a very important role to play. Um, but can they affect political change? It's very difficult. Um, if, you, uh, if you think of Egypt, for example, 2011, by 2010, there were stencils created in the image of Khalid Saeed, uh, the Egyptian who was uh, uh, killed by the security forces in Alexandria. Uh, did that influence the, uh, the uprising in Egypt? Um, I'm not sure, but, I, but perhaps it did influence some of the activists then. Okay, thanks. There's two questions, or three questions up there. Uh, first you, and then you, and then you. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to come back for a second to the question that was raised earlier regarding the influence between Arab artists and um, what is happening with regard to Western um, engagement in the region. Um, now, you were saying that nowadays artists are really too concerned with what is going on in their, in their um, respective countries, but I've recently completed a PhD on Western engagement in Libya, and what we're seeing today is in Libya is clearly... a also a consequence of Western engagement there. Thus, I'm wondering, are you aware of any artworks that deal with sort of what is happening in that region with regard to Western engagement, engagement right now? Thank you. Um, just to repeat the question, yeah. am I aware of any artists who are depicting events in Libya? Whether it's Libya or Syria, I mean, in the region, because it is not that everything that is, that all the problems that are in the region, happening in the region right now, are solely, you know, regional problems. Yes. There's an foreign element to it as well. Thank you. So, so yes, there's, there's a number of... Uh, uh, you're talking about Western intervention. Yeah. Yes. So, so as you saw, uh, for example, with Huda Lutfi, uh, democracy is coming, sort of showing you the promise of democracy coming from the West, but on, on military tanks. There's, there's, there are definitely uh, uh, many artists. I can't think of names right away, but there's many artists who also depicted uh, uh, Western intervention uh, in, in the Arab world. Uh, if you want to contact me, and I'll put you in touch with them. Yes, sir. You at the back. Firstly, thank you for the enlightening presentation. Um, It was great going through uh, some of the artworks that um, celebrate uh, or commemorate the successes of the modern uh, uh, Arab world and some of the failures and tragedies. Uh, I couldn't help uh, notice that there aren't any artworks Uh, that depict or criticize, for that matter, what's happening in Syria uh, currently. So, in your view, what is the reason of that? Is it fear of retribution, censorship, or are artists kind of wanting to wait to see what's happening in Syria first to maybe base a judgment? 
Uh, in fact, many artists depict events in, in Syria. I showed uh, a number of art, artists like Fadi Hamwi, Sulaf Hajazi. You have uh, Tamam Azzam. You have, um, honestly, there's, there's so many uh, photographers, artists. Um, it's, it's very difficult uh, to create works that are very critical, especially if artists have families in these countries. Many of these artists' families still live in Damascus, so you have to keep that in mind when, uh, when, when you create art about, about the regime. Uh, but uh, it's it's also uh, the case that I am not knowledgeable, uh, uh, you know, about every single artist and every single, uh, uh, you know, uh, artwork that's created about, about Syria. So, uh, I can I can research for you. I know there are experts like Rafia Qudmani who has put up a number of exhibitions and Fadi Salim who put up a number of exhibitions. All these works are about Syrian artists depicting the war, uh, the work. So you can look them up. This is a question down the front. Yes, you yeah, right, right down at the front. Hi. Uh, thanks for a brilliant presentation. And uh, I thought the part with Gamal Abdel Nasser's pictures was especially interesting because uh, we have some family relatives who grew up at that time, and one of them was like, let me show you the portraits I drew when I was a child. And every single one of them was just these very, very big uh, portraits of Gamal Abdel Nasser. Um, my uh, question is about, um, and slightly related to the question on kind of the role of art in causing political change, because a lot of art does have a message, but it's a very tends to be a very subtle message, and probably due to censorship. But what's your personal opinion on kind of um, if being whether being subtle or being direct is more effective, and uh, also on um, in general if being forced to be allegorical and um, symbolic kind of makes the idea of being poet being symbolic lose its beauty in a way. Um, just in kind of an, from an artistic perspective. So some of the most powerful and, and uh, uh, important artworks from the Arab world were allegorical, were artworks that did not specifically show uh, the, you know, the dictator sort of uh, killing uh, citizens you know, or being, being overt. Some, most of them were very subtle, covert, like the uh, Kavim Haidar that I showed you, uh, works that uh, that depicted suppression or uh, political assassinations, but because these artists wanted to sell their works and they wanted to continue uh, living in these countries, they had to be very subtle. But but you notice that there are also some of the smartest uh, uh, artworks. Uh, if you think this is something that is employed by other artists around the world, uh, think of Picasso's Guernica, uh, which which you know which depicted a major event, but didn't have the word Guernica and it didn't have. Uh, sort of uh, uh, exact symbolism of that uh, of that city in in Spain. Artists in the Arab world did something very similar to that. Uh, is it better to be uh, overt? I think I think that is the role of uh, of maybe other intellectuals, like maybe writers and uh, maybe maybe politicians. But poets and painters and artists have have uh, tried to be uh, closer to the people. They try not to. They try not to speak down or give orders. They try to uh, depict to the common man and the common woman uh, their feelings uh, and vice versa. So, uh, in fact, as a person interested in art from the Arab world, uh, I see the smarter works are the ones, uh, even in contemporary artworks, that depict uh, events and uh, are, make political statements, but are subtle rather than are too direct. But yes. You with the white top on. Put your hand up and the mic will come to you. 
Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sultan, for your presentation. My name is Zad Sleiman. I'm from Lebanon. Uh, I wanted to ask you about how common are the artwork um, on Arab work done by non-Arabs, and would you consider these work as Arab art? And I'm referring here to Bansky um, graffiti, uh, especially. So art that was created in the Arab world? Like by non-Arabs, oh. by uh, foreigners. Well, uh, so... So really it's the definition, uh, let, let's go back to Banksy coming into, uh, going into Palestine, creating uh, a work over a period of a uh, few days, is not really an Arab work. It's, an, it's, a, it's a work of art in the Arab world. Uh, the, the, the notion of what is an Arab artwork is also a troublesome uh, notion because a lot of artists uh, like Chan Davidisian, Paul Garagosian, uh, Ervan Demergian are Armenian artists. They happen to be Lebanese and Egyptian, for example. Uh, Kevork Morad and others are uh, Armenian. Some artists were uh, Kurdish. Other artists were Amazigh, Berber. Some artists were uh, 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 Persian, who, who ethnically Persian. But if they lived, I mean, for me, they lived a long time in the Arab world. They speak the language. For me, they're, they're Arab artists, but you have to also respect their ethnic identity as well. You have to keep that in mind. It's part, part and parcel of their identity, whether they were Jewish, whether they were Amazigh. This is all part of their identity. Um, so I don't consider these to be uh, Arab uh, 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 artworks, but artworks that were created in solidarity, maybe uh, with the Arab world. Having said that, a lot of artists moved, moved to the Arab world, spent many decades. Um, perhaps they were born in, in, uh, outside the Arab world, but because they lived there for so long, I consider them to be Arab. This includes Lorna Salim, for example, born in Wales, but lived for over half a century in Iraq. You know, what more can she do? She's lived there for so long. She's, she's, she's married an Iraqi, uh, started an Iraqi family. Uh, Ervan Demergian, born in Turkey, moved to Egypt. Again, he's an Egyptian artist. So uh, you have to keep that in mind. I think it's more nuanced. Right, yes. Just hand the mic next. Oh, no, it's gone. Yes, the woman in the black top with the scarf. Thanks. Hi, um, Noor. So my question is, so this summer I went to the Sigsot Museum in Beirut. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And when I entered, I realized that a lot of the artwork um, that was put forth in the 60s was non-political in the sense, I mean, everything is political, but in the sense that it depicted uh, issues not related to direct uh, confrontational politics. And I was thinking, you know, ever since 67, there's a lot of reductionist statements that state that Arab art is purely political. So f your interest in, in, in art, have you realized there's a trend in contemporary art to move away from the typical political kind of art? Uh, so that's actually a great question. It's a point I wanted to make and I forgot about during the talk. Um, so even, even abstract art uh, in the Arab world uh, had a, a political undertone to it. It's, it is work that re rejected the Western school of art. It is work that was um, almost uh, uh, depicted the identity of the country, the identity of the artist. It is not a landscape. It is not a palm tree. It is not a, a Bedouin. It is not uh, what, what the Western Orientalists want, expected the Arab artists to depict from their own uh, societies. And many of these uh, abstract works that you saw were created in these fine arts schools, whether it was the school of Casablanca, the school of Khartoum, the school of Baghdad, the school of Kuwait. Uh, all these schools uh, put forth a new national identity 
and uh, and it was a reaction against the uh, uh, Western imperialism or Western uh, influence uh, that we are forming our own identity. If you see in Iraq all these sort of circular heads that, that, that artists uh, uh, created, if you see uh, the school of Casablanca, you see a, a lot of sort of uh, uh, works that were influenced by Harufism, by calligraphy or letterism, but are not letterism. These are works that were uh, almost unique to Morocco, works unique to, uh, to Tunis, works, works unique to Baghdad. So uh, these abstract works are also a, uh, an allegory. Uh, uh, they are also a political statement. Right, yes, sir. Thank you for an illuminating lecture, Sultan. Um, I wanted your thoughts on... Uh, on the building and establishment of art schools and academies because there is a consensus or a view that um, art should be organic. However, given the situation in the Arab world, it would be helpful to set up and encourage you know, hubs and incubators to teach art and artistic technique. And touching on that point, um, I was very impressed by the Sirkal Avenue in, in, in Dubai, which has attracted so much artistic talent out of nowhere, you know, unused uh, warehouse space. Do you think that should be actively encouraged or should art be organic? Uh, so the first question was about uh, establishment of, of artistic uh, schools. Uh, so the first school uh, in the Arab world was established uh, for a, an Egyptian prince who wanted to learn uh, Yusuf Kamil, I believe. And uh, that was maybe in uh, the early 20th century. And that school graduated a lot of the artists that we recognize today. Uh, we saw, we saw uh, Raqib Ayad, Yusuf Kamil, and others. Um, so there is a case for artistic schools. Um, uh, th there aren't enough, perhaps, artistic, artistic schools. But today, art really is, uh, is not confined to a classroom. Artists can, they don't need to go to school to learn how to paint, to learn how to take photographs, to learn how to do sculpting. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of having art schools. We have an art school in Sharjah. Uh, there are uh, art schools. Uh, there's an art school in, uh, in, in Doha. I spoke at VCU. Uh, there's an, in Egypt still, in Beirut still. There's a lot of uh, art schools. Um, so yes, of course, the more art schools, the, the better. Uh, but it's not really confined to if you have art schools, then you have good art. Egyptians made good art before art schools were created. Um, the consensus seems to say that. Um, but, uh, and the, the second question is Asirkal Avenue. Those of you who don't know what Asirkal is, a merchant family from Dubai called uh, Asirkal uh, had built a, a warehouse compound that they converted about maybe 10 years ago into uh, a, uh, an art district. Uh, and it's interesting because it's almost an equalizer where you have uh, people driving up in their Bentleys and Mercedes, BMW, and you, and you also have, because it's an industrial area, you have, uh, you have construction workers, blue-color workers who wander around. So it's one of the only places in Dubai where you see these very rich people walking next to construction workers. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful site, and it's one of the only places in the, in the UAE that you see this, this coming together of different stratas of society. Um, uh, so should art be organic? I think... Uh, every, every country has a different, uh, a different uh, take uh, on this. In, in, in Beirut, I can't imagine someone doing uh, a Sirkal Avenue in Beirut or in, or in Cairo. Art basically exists throughout the cities in Cairo and in uh, Beirut and elsewhere. Uh, in Baghdad, unfortunately, the art is being created outside, uh, although a lot of artists are still resisting and doing art inside Baghdad. Uh, but, but I think what's nice about Sirkal Avenue is 
uh, it's not just Arab artists, it's artists from India, from Iran, from Europe, uh, from Africa. So you see people from all over the world. Right. Yes. Uh, let's take the question at the back, the lady with the stripy top and the red uh, scarf. Hi there. Thanks for your talk. Um, I'm a third-year student of international relations here at LSE. And I was just really interested when you touched upon the fossilization of the um, education systems in some Arab states. And I just wanted to know if you think that art can change that and lead to more progressive attitudes, um, despite the fact that censorship might still be an issue with um, certain governments or regimes. If you asked me this question five years ago, I'd tell you yes. But unfortunately, what we've seen in the last five years since the beginning of the Arab Spring We've seen a resurgence of hyper-nationalism. We've seen a resurgence in hyper-Islamism. We've seen a resurgence in worrying trends that I thought were going to be tempered by liberal ideas, by art, by culture. But that hasn't happened. So I'm still hopeful, but I think the, the answer now is a tentative no. But, but your lecture in focusing on contemporary art that is still thriving in the Middle East between these two hypers of nationalism and Islam, surely that indicates there's still a space for cosmopolitan creative liberalism in the form of art. Um, there certainly is. There's a lot of people, you go to, you go to Egypt, you go to uh, the UAE, you go to countries across the region, a lot of people still enjoy this art. They still visit. How much influence do they have? How much influence do the liberals have in, in Arab countries? It seems to me that the battle is increasingly uh, between Islamists and hyper-nationalists in the Arab world. And liberals' uh, space and seculars, space for seculars has been shrinking more and more every year. Uh, this, this is something I see on Twitter, on social media. In the newspapers, it seems uh, the articles are either uh, calling for uh, more uh, hyper-nationalism uh, or more Islamism in society. Uh, if you call for more liberal, more secular views, you are in the, uh, on the, in the minority. Forget about leftist and socialist views, because that, that the, these people have also almost been squeezed out of the, uh, the conversation. Okay, thank you. On that depressing note. Yes, sir, you with the beard. Hi, uh, thanks, Sultan, for the presentation. Um, we, we, we know that Jamal al-Muhammad had wide resonance in the Arab world. It was actually spread by... Um, uh, a lot of people wanted to print posters and send it all over the world. But m my question is about the resonance of art pieces of that era. How, much of, how many of them, or, 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 or could you say that a, a large number of them, resonated with the Arab so-called street, or did, they, or did they stay in you know, the upper bourgeois elite uh, galleries of Cairo and Beirut? So that's a great point. Jamal Muhammad is the camel of burdens, the man who was carrying Jerusalem on his back, if you remember that work. That work, was, uh, uh, that work is probably one of the most recognizable works of, uh, of Arab art. Uh, the reason is uh, the person who bought it printed, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many, but many, many posters that went around the world, went to South America, went, to, uh, uh, went across the Arab world, went to Europe. Um, it is so famous that taxi drivers recognize it. Uh, but they don't know the name. They don't know that it's called the Camel of Burdens. But they know that it's always oh, the man who's carrying Jerusalem on his back. I know that work. Everybody knows that work. It's a very famous artwork. Um, and it's a good point that art has, uh, uh, other than the public art that we showed you, the, the Jawad Salim public work, the work by Mahmoud, uh, Mahmoud Mukhtar in, uh, in Egypt, the work by Isiyakham in Algeria, 
uh, and other artworks uh, was mostly uh, left to the confines of the elites, the intellectuals who would uh, visit these exhibitions. Um, then it was up to uh, these intellectuals to, to disseminate the information. It could have been done through the, 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 the music, uh, the poetry of Ahmed Fuad Nigam, uh, or the music of uh, Sayyid Badawi, uh, and, and, and other musicians, for example. That was more, music was more uh, accessible to the, to, the, to the everyday person uh, in the Arab world. The radio was more accessible than the, than the gallery. That is until the advent of graffiti, because public art was generally uh, confined to the government. The government chose what work would be displayed to the public, and they would generally not show you a work that was critical of themselves. So it was the first time that Arabs was subjected to, to, uh, to political art uh, that was accessible to the, to, the, to the public when graffiti art emerged. But I want to reiterate a point I made during this, this talk, uh, is that graffiti is, is basically uh, uh, political, uh, political writing on the, on the square, uh, including imagery. This is something that happened from, from, uh, from Arabi's uh, uh, revolution, maybe from 100 years ago. So uh, these are statements that were written. Even in the Gulf, there was, there was political statements against the British presence, uh, but this was all painted over, and people didn't have access to Instagram. Then uh, uh, iPhone wasn't invented, and so people generally didn't have uh, cameras. You know, if you, if you want to take a camera, if you want to take a picture with, uh, of, that, of that writing, the camera was this big. And so you'd attract a lot of attention. And uh, these, these political slogans were not captured. So we have forgotten them. But we, we know about them from our families. Right. In, in the last 10 minutes, I'm going to take a clutch of uh, three questions from the top and three questions from the bottom. And those of you who are outraged by not being asked a question, you know you've got another at least half an hour uh, to, to, with informal discussion upstairs at the reception. So, yes, the, the first question is the woman there in, in grey, I think. Thank you, Sultan, for a very good talk. Um, Noor uh, Kadim, I'm a lawyer at, uh, international lawyer at Joseph A. Garrison. My question is, to what extent do you think that artists in the Middle East, uh, because maybe this kind of art, contemporary artists today, this kind of art maybe sells, uh, are they put under pressure or encouraged by galleries to create political art? Um, and to what extent is that controlled by the galleries, whether in the Middle East or outside of the Middle East? So, good, good, uh, hold that. We're going to oh, group them together so we can get... Yes, yeah, you, sir, at the back. Hi, so, first of all, thank you for this presentation. My name is Yusuf Darwish. I'm from Egypt. And I have two questions. So, th the first question, what's the role Let's of social media? We'll get more in. Just so, the, the most important question. Yeah, so, okay, so my question would be about the ideology. Can, like, f 50 years ago, you could see, like, a common ideology between, like, the artists, the idea of Qawmil um, Arabiya or the Arabic unity, and under Nasser, is there some common identity that you can infer from the art right now, or, like, there's more, like, Western influence, so it's becoming more ambiguous? That's a great question. And the final question at the top, the gentleman there, in the, I guess, at the hooded top... Uh, thank you. Uh, a quick one. Uh, I think I got the... <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I understood that I'm most of the art collectors and funders, most of the finance driving the Arab art right now is coming from the Gulf. 
how much of that is influencing, for example, inside lining, uh, the art, criticizing, for example, this is this intervention in Bahrain, or what Saudi Arabia is doing in Yemen, for example. Are such kind of arts, do they have place in galleries, or do they have place in exhibitions, because most of the money is coming from the Gulf? Thanks. Excellent, thank you. Now, three questions down here. Uh, yes, but not, not you behind you. you yes, thanks. Hello, um, I'm a graphic communication uh, student from CSM, and I have a question about typography. It has always been one of the most significant parts of Arab art, but why does it almost disappear in contemporary and modern art? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Why has it disappeared? Yeah. Okay, we've got that. And then you... And then one more over here somewhere. Yes, you, sir, with the white jump. Hi. Um, just a quick question. I've got, um, I would like you to tell us a little bit more about the situation and the role of female artists. And um, basically the ones working in the Arab world. You talk about Mona Hatun and um, some others, but I'm interested about the situation and, and, and the role of the ones based in the Arab world. And the... Uh, was the present in the museums in uh, in the Gulf region, and I'm especially asking uh, this question because I didn't know about the event at the Whitechapel Gallery on Saturday, but um, the Guerrilla Girls are also having an exhibition there right now. So I hope you say something really positive about the situation and the role of the female artists at the moment. Thank you. And the final question is the gentleman with the white jumper and the grey scarf. Uh, thanks. Uh, thank you for the talk, Sultan. Um, I wonder, obviously, your talk focused on, on, on visual arts. Um, what, um, which medium do you think has the, the, the most reach in um, the Arab world? Because obviously uh, there's, there's still a sort of um, thriving, very political um, cinema, uh, f film scene in, in Egypt, for instance, and uh, you know, the music of Mashar Leila is uh, very political, that sort of thing. So yeah, I wonder if I could ask you that. Great. You have three questions. I've taken notes and so have you, but the, the three questions as I understand them from the balcony are one, has the commercialization of art dri driven the rise in political art as I understand it? Two, I, my favorite question of the night I think is if a lot of the stuff that you showed from the, the images from the 1950s and 60s was driven by Arab nationalism. Have, can you identify a different, the same, or, or similarly powerful identity? And then third, because, as you say, Gulf buyers are buying up a lot of the Arab art, has that stifled uh, criticism of, of Gulf foreign policy, whether it be in Bahrain or Yemen? Uh, oh yeah, great questions. Um, so let's, let's begin uh, w with, the, uh, with the last question. Um, uh, certainly with regards to uh, artworks that are critical of the Gulf, uh, these um, artists can produce the work, but I would bet that they cannot show th these works in the Gulf if they're criticizing directly uh, Gulf leaders. But many artists are smart and they can create works that are subtle. Their criticism, but their subtle criticism, like the GCC Collective, putting Gulf leaders under the microscope making the small versions of them where you look, you're, 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 you're sort of bigger looking down, uh, uh, looking down at them. 
so if you can find a way to get around that, you'd be able to show, uh, uh, to show your work maybe. This work was displayed in the Gulf. This work was displayed in the U.S. as well. Um, but uh, depicting the war uh, in Yemen, I haven't seen. I, I'd, be, I'd be very curious uh, to see works depicting the war in Yemen, uh, but I haven't seen uh, uh, many yet. Um, the other question was... On identity? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, yes, I like that question. Um, as you said, the, previously it was Islamism. Sorry, previously it was Pan-Arabism that artists came together to depict. And then I think it became uh, counter-Islamism. The truth is that this is, a, uh, this is the, the, the $64 million question. Is that the phrase? We don't know what the new ism is in the Arab world. What is the new ism that will drive people away from, uh, from uh, uh, the hyper-Islamism? I'm not saying driving them away from Islam. Islam is, uh, is an important religion. But uh, the sort of the, uh, the Islamism, uh, the, uh, the hyper I think hyper-nationalism is very scary uh, for me, as scary as hyper-Islamism. What is the new ism? We don't know. What are people coming up with? Is it... Is it going to be uh, peace? Is it going to be uh, democracy? Uh, someone told me that the new ism of the, uh, of the youth in the Arab world is coding. I know that sounds crazy, but these, these youngsters, they speak a language that I don't understand. They're half my age, and they all code, and they all communicate online. I don't know what they're coming up with, and I hope it's something positive. So, um, did I, I'm sure should I and the question one? up there was about, the final question from the balcony was about the, commercialis the, yeah. the commercialization yeah. of art. So a lot of artists create works that satisfy buyers, uh, and they sell them for, money, for a lot of money, so that they, crea they can create works that are meaningful to them. Uh, so, you know, just like any other job, sometimes if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, be a musician, you have to take a full-time job and do something boring like banking uh, and then do your music on the side uh, until you sort of have, a, uh, have, have the capability of standing on your feet. Uh, and this, I think this goes to a lot of other jobs. So many artists create work to satisfy galleries. Uh, until they're able to stand on their feet and produce works that they feel can, uh, can uh, uh, you know, depict their, their, their beliefs. Now, the three questions from the floor here. What accounts for the decline of calligraphy in modern Arab art? Or do you agree that calligraphy has declined in modern Arab art? So, so we just published uh, a book. I think the question came from over here. Yeah. We, we just published a book uh, by Dr. Sherbel Dagar a professor from Lebanon, Sharbal Dagar, uh, called um, Arabic Hrufiya, uh, Art and Identity. So this book is out of print. It's 30 years old. We just published it in English. It's coming out uh, 15th of October, so just a few days ago it's come out, um, about the rise of, uh, of Hrufism. I don't believe that, uh, that, that calligraphy or Hrufism uh, has disappeared. Uh, a lot of the f most famous uh, graffiti artists today uh, use uh, uh, calligraphy. You can think of uh, El Cid. You can think of uh, Zafir uh, and many other artists who use uh, who use calligraphy. Um, uh, Ayatarak. I don't want to just uh, use uh, uh, male names from Egypt, but uh, uh, Ayatarak is another very important uh, female artist who 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 uses also uh, uh, calligraphy in her work. So it hasn't died. Um, you know, I uh, I like to see. 
sort of a, a coming together of calligraphy and figurative and abstract, but calligraphy artists are doing very well. Uh, and a lot of their work is very political. As I told you, that work titled uh, The People Won the, the Fall of the Regime uh, was contemporary calligraphy. It's a calligraphic work that was created using a light box. Uh, but it is, it is calligraphy nonetheless. But here is the question that you're, you're being asked about the, uh, the role of women artists in the Middle East, and you're being asked to, uh, if you can say something positive about it. Oh, it's very positive. I think, I think uh, female artists have played a very important role in, uh, in the modern era, whether it's Affet Naji, Inji Aflatun, uh, in Egypt, uh, uh, whether um, you look at Sami Halabi in, uh, in Palestine. Uh, today, uh, coming up, I think in, in a few weeks, you have a retrospective of a Sudanese female artist called uh, Kamala Ishaq Ibrahim, uh, uh, who was active in the 1960s and, and 70s. Uh, the retrospective is in Sharjah. Uh, Sharjah has also uh, put together a retrospective of uh, Fakhr Nisa Zaid, who was uh, Jordanian. She was uh, obviously Turkish by, by birth, but she was very much Iraqi and Jordanian by identity. So I think female artists play a very important role. The fact that they haven't been highlighted, I think, uh, says more about who writes and who controls the media, who controls the scholarship. In general, it, wasn't, it isn't women. So I think, uh, I think that women artists uh, deserve a, a greater uh, uh, deal, a greater uh, deal of scholarship and exhibitions. But we have seen a lot of uh, women artists uh, finally getting the recognition that they deserve. And the final uh, question, and we have to be quick because we're just out of time, but you can answer this in one word, I think. Uh, which is the most influential, the most popular medium for art? And, and it was suggested it might actually be musical film and not uh, uh, figurative. Not... So, so obviously, uh, I, I agree with the, with the person who asked the question. Cinema is uh, very influential. You have a lot of uh, political uh, movies that have come out from the 1960s and, uh, uh, and 70s, uh, Yusuf Shaheen's movies. You have uh, a, a few Egyptian movies that have come out uh, recently by uh, uh, Mohammed Diab, by, uh, uh, by uh, uh, Amr Salama. Uh, you have uh, Syrian artists, a Syrian movie uh, called, uh, I think, Al Hadood or The Frontier that came out in the 1980s, I believe. So film is very accessible uh, to people. All these movies are available now uh, on, on YouTube, not always legally, but people can see them. Uh, I think music, perhaps, is the most influential uh, medium when it comes to art. Uh, poetry, as you saw, Mahmoud Darwish's poetry uh, being used by artists like Ziya Azawi and many other artists. Uh, today, the most influential, I think, for contemporary artists is social media. Uh, people, a lot of artists are creating works on Instagram. It's being shared. It's being views, viewed tens of thousands of times. Uh, and it's very accessible. You don't need to travel to see the work. So Lafa Hajazi's work, you know, the work I showed you with the man climbing, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the tower uh, using a beard. That work, I, I don't think, was ever shown publicly. Uh, but it was sold uh, because she showed it on, on, uh, on social media. So artists are using social media, and I wouldn't discount the role of paintings. Paintings are still very important uh, and uh, highly sought after. Right, I think that leaves me with four things to say before we break up. Firstly, I apologize to everyone who didn't get a question in. I think it's uh, tantamount, it's indicative of, of the, 
the, the hugely uh, interesting and evocative lecture that we've been given and the images, but you can, if you arise to, if you go up to the senior uh, dining room, you can then engage Sultan in an informal way in, at, the, at the drinks reception. That's the second thing I need to do uh, to remind you that as you walk out, if you're old like me, you can get a lift up to the senior dining room. If you're uh, young and fit, you can take the stairs, which will get you there quicker. And then I think thirdly, you've, been, you've seen the lecture, you've heard the lecture, you've seen the slides, and you now have a few days left to go and see the exhibition at the Whitechapel Gallery. The exhibition lasts until January. Ah, it does. Oh, no, the exhibition, so I was going to rush you all there, but you've got till January. But there is indeed a, 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 a cloakroom on the exhibition on Saturday that you could also go to for a minimal fee. We've discussed that, entry fee. But I think the most important thing is to thank our speaker for a superb lecture that's, I think, been brilliant. Thank you.